when you're a kid, you don't know a lot about movie trailers. You didn't read movie magazines. There were no movie blogs. You literally picked up the cover and said, this looks neat and took it home. And sometimes it was like a B-budget piece of garbage and sometimes it was a masterpiece. Close Watch, Episode 8. Rob here. Find more episodes of this show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and other podcatchers, as well as CrookedTable.com. If you can give us a rating and or review on Apple Podcasts, it would really be a great way to spread the word about the show. On this episode, JC from Screen Fix joins me to talk about 1981's Time Bandits, a film that I had heard of, a film that I had never seen, and a film that I didn't realize how impactful it was on 1980s fantasy cinema, specifically the ones that are aimed, air quotes, at kids, uh, as this film, as I I didn't realize it was so important. There's so many uh, influential elements here that we'll get into in the episode, but stick around for that. First, let's listen to a little bit of the trailer and then jump right into our conversation on Time Bandits. You flocked to see Close Encounters for the special effects. You went to Superman to see a man fly. You went to Star Wars for the droids. You were... Now what? What's page two, man? It's under page one. See? Oh, man. Yeah, went to Star Wars. Time bandits can offer you much, much more. It's not the special effects or flying men or droids which makes Time Bandits a unique cinematic... Cinematic! You know, pertaining to the cinema. Cinematic experience, it's the makeup. Yes, folks, you've never seen anything like it. Men made up to look like monsters. Monsters made up to look like men. Look alike men made up to look different. Different men made up to look alike. No expense has been paired, spared on the pan stick, the pan stick. No expense has been spared flying in the world's greatest makeup man. Just a minute, just a minute. What about the plot? The what? The plot. What the film is about. Well, I haven't seen it, have I? Haven't seen it? Welcome to Close Watch, the show where we get to know our guests through the movies they love. On this episode, I'm honored to welcome to the show JC from Screen Fix. Welcome. Yes, it is me, JC, from the Screen Fix podcast, host of the Screen Fix podcast, and I have been on this show before. I enjoy this show. I enjoy you as a person, Robert Yanis Jr. And uh, I am happy to be here again. And I like this because I feel like the movies that I bring to the show are really good ones that you've never seen. And I feel like I don't, I, you really liked Starman a lot. In fact, you, you thanked me for bringing it to your, into your life. This particular film, similar reaction or no? It's honestly, it's, it's a tricky one to tell because a lot of times being the, you know, the parent of a four-year-old and, and a pregnant wife and working full time, a lot of times I end up watching these movies for the podcast at night, sometimes later at night. And I feel like I honestly really knew, do need to rewatch this. I did enjoy it, but the plot, as as we'll get into, is so all, uh, wild and all over the place. And I mean that in a, as, in a good way 
that I, I feel like I, I need this conversation to help process what I saw. Robert, <laughs> I postponed this episode. You did. By like three weeks. You had you had time. I had other podcasts I was recording in the meantime. That's oh, why we. That's okay. why, <laughs> oh, I've got I've, right. I've got other I've got other side pieces. Is gotcha. Oh, side, you got some side pieces. I thought your <laughs> wife's pregnant. <laughs> so uh, she doesn't Jason. listen to this. <laughs> uh, anyway, what movie are we here for? So before before we get to that, tell gotcha. people about about who you are, about Screen Fix, about what what you have going on. Gotcha. So yeah, Screen Fix is a podcast where we fix, air quotes, a recent film. Basically, we talk about the film a bit, and then we talk about what we might have done to make it better. We try to be as specific and constructive as possible. It's definitely NSFW, and I don't even know why. I think I'm just filthy, and so are my guests. But another thing that I have going on is I started hosting something called VHS Club at a local indie theater called Greenlight Cinema. That is once a month. That is the last Saturday of every month. We uh, Our inaugural film was The Thing, and the... The cinephiles of my local area have spoken, and the next film is going to be The Lost Boys. So nice. I'm wondering, Robert Yanis, are, are are you going to come sponsor this one? Is 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 your pod going to come sponsor this one? We will have to talk about times, dates, etc. As I said, I'm going to have a a newborn in about. Well, I'm not going to have it. My wife's going to have it in about three weeks. So. If not that one, it sounds like you're doing this once a month, correct? Right. It's in, it's in two weeks. It's, it's in about three weeks, actually. So you're probably not going uh, <laughs> yeah, like, to be available to sponsor it. this one. <laughs> right, right, right. My wife's <laughs> in labor. Like, yeah. Her water broke. I'm like, that's no excuse. <laughs> this is Joel Schumacher's lost. Place. It's the lost uh, place. Yeah. But Sorry, it's, honey. I got to go. But it's, but it's the Corey's. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, you're going to have to name your kid Corey now just for this. No, but... Um, yeah, so I started hosting that. So I host VHS Club at Greenlight Cinema, www.greenlightstpete.com, greenlightstpete.com. And my podcast is ScreenFix, uh, screenfixpod.com, and anywhere that you find podcasts, check it out. But yeah, I love being here on this podcast. I was on your original podcast, Cricket Table, but Close Watch is going to be, this is going to be just as close to my heart, I'll tell you what. Nice, nice, well done. Yeah, mm-hmm. thank you. Yeah. Close watch is a crooked thing. table production, hence the name change. That's oh, kind of gotcha. The, Sorry. So now, because now I have this show, and then the franchise detours, which is the sister show. So I have those on alternating weeks, as opposed to doing two shows every week, which I don't have the time or bandwidth for. So for this episode, we're going to be talking about the 1981 film Time Bandits directed by uh, Terry Gilliam. Orient so JC, when, when we, Orient much like the, the previous version of the show, Crooked Table Podcast, which you, we talked about Starman, as you mentioned, mm-hmm. that one you came out with pretty fast when we and I suggested, what do you, what, what do, movie did you want to bring to the table? And this one, you were like, Time Bandits. And I was like, let's do it. I've never wanna seen Time, do time Bandits. Like, wanted so, Time Bandits, hardcore. Exactly. So what's the deal with Time Bandits? Why did you want to talk about this one? Oh, what is the deal with it? Okay, man, open, so broad. So what? why did I want to do Time Bandits? Because yeah. Time Bandits was one of those 
seminal childhood movies for me. Like it was one of the ones that I I was, it was one of those ones that I found in the video store, probably not even a blockbuster video. Cause I was, you know, I was probably too young, probably some cheesy video store that had the weird section behind the beads that mm-hmm. adults only, you know what I'm talking about. You used to, you'd always try to creep back there and like, right. Yes. Walk through, every you're like, kid. On? Every kid tried to creep at some movie that was near the adult section so they could peek yeah. back there. And it was, I'm sure that us kids thought we were being so sneaky and clever, but every adult knew exactly what we were doing. Like that's the, that's the nature documentary section. There's no reason for that kid to be back there. <laughs> no, but, <laughs> and really there's some human nature going on. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. So anyway, it was one of those movies that just makes me think of Friday night video store i rented this film multiple times multiple times because when you were a kid back in the video store era uh, kid if you were a kid you would you would rent a movie multiple times like you would go Mm -hmm. back i don't know what to watch i'll get time bandits again and your mom would go again we rented that one last (laughs) month you've seen this one so many times i'm like i just wanted to like it and then and and it wasn't fine and and you couldn't even buy it. Like that's the wild thing that I think mm-hmm. about sometimes. Now yeah. you want something, you buy it on Amazon or you buy it online yep. streaming or whatever. But back then, unless a movie was priced to own, it yep. you it wasn't for you had to spend the you had to give the video store two hundred dollars or something crazy. They'd always have that small yeah. print, like in their little monthly yep. booklets, like suggested retail price, like two two ten or two fifteen or whatever it was. Yeah. Unless people, and unless it was a Disney have, movie, you're, you're right. Like pe- yeah, people, unless it was a people Disney did not movie have these or massive, people did not have yeah. these massive collections of, of VHS tapes, right? Because yeah, unless it was, it was a Disney movie, an Independence Day, or like a a Jurassic Park, one of those mainstream, you like the biggest movies of the year, basically, it, it you had to wait until your local video store would have it previously viewed for purchase, or if that. Yeah, I so but this was just one. I rented it all the the time. I I didn't know what Monty Python is. I didn't know anything like that. I just knew it was this adventure movie that was very strange, but it had little people in it. And I feel like kids like little people because Mm -hmm. I actually think this movie works because it's a kid with little people. What if those had been like adult time 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 bandits like adult size time bandits they would have been f- much more frightening you know what i mean like it would have been a completely yeah. diff- different movie when you cast little people even though they are like even though they are adults they seem less threatening so right. you don't mind a kid going along with a group of essentially burglars along this like journey and they are nasty people all of them yeah but that helps that that work but when i was a kid too i like i was not threatened by them i liked them a lot even though they were terrible and just like any kids movie you know the goonies work so well because when you were a kid you wanted to find a map and you wanted to go on that adventure right like you put yourselves in the the shoes and you just you would let your imagination run wild with those kind of like scenarios of finding a map and treasure in your own town or with with time bandits it was like what if what if a medieval knight comes crashing out of my closet yeah, right yeah, exactly. and that and that and that's my favorite thing the movie right right out of the gate 
just sets everything up so well. It's like the parents are into just material possessions, talking about the latest blender, the latest appliance, the latest anything. They don't care about their kid. He's talking about ancient Greece. The kid goes goes to bed. And there's that scene where the horse jumps out and the slow motion jump over the bed is so surreal, almost mm-hmm. like beautiful shot of the medieval night on a horse jumping over the kid's bed. And that's it. I am as a kid, I'm gripped as an adult. I'm gripped. It it had me right there. And then the next night when the when the little people come out and they push on the wall and the adventure begins as a kid, all you want is that, right? Like you want an escape from the regular parts of your life, especially when you're like six, seven, eight, it's like you're realizing the world is probably a little less exciting and a little less, a little more regimented, right? Like six, seven, mm-hmm. eight, you're just starting to get into like elementary school. You're getting in the doldrums of, of learning, going to class, dinner, that routine begins, right? As soon as you get into like elementary school, right? And sure. You at that even at that young age, you're starting to, while your life starts to become a a a routine, you start longing for adventure. Even if that even at that young age, and at that age, your imagination is so active, so wild. And I think Time Bandits just leans right into that heavy, and that's really it. Makes me think of being very young. It makes me think of video stores makes me think of Pizza Hut back at a time when you could only order Pizza Hut or Domino's. There wasn't choice. There was no other choices. And also the only things you can get delivered were pizza or Chinese food. There's nothing else. You get groceries delivered, any restaurant. You get everything delivered. We're all spoiled now. Yeah, you get completely spoiled. Now I'm getting like filet mignon delivered. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, it makes me, it just makes me think of Pizza Hut and music pizza hut video stores lay uh, laying on my stomach on the carpet accidentally spilling my coca-cola and having my mom get really mad at me like all that stuff it just brings all of that back for me and that's really why time bandits it's not till i got older that on a lot of rewatches of time bandits where it really starts to pick up on really what the movie is about, what's really happening, a lot of the themes that are apparent in the film. But so so I've got that like nostalgia attachment to it. You seeing it for the first time as an adult, what did you get out of it, Robert? I a lot of what you said yeah. touched on my the notes that I had. Like I, I clearly it's about the banality of everyday life. Just when you're, you, like you said, you're starting to to be aware and like pay more attention to what your parents are like. And you're like, that sucks. I don't want to, adulting is not, not cool. Not, not, and not looking forward to that. I would just want to be a kid. And, and it's, it's also the Chronicles of Narnia, like with the wardrobe, with the night coming through, reminded me of that a little bit. Very clearly Goonies-esque. And for me more specifically, Monster Squad, which is a one I, I watched a lot as a kid. I didn't really even see Goonies until I was an adult. So that reference point was lost on me for most of my life. Sure. But it's it felt it felt like a time traveling Goonies in a way. Well, you for could sure. say well, but Goonies and Monster Squad are time bandits-esque. Because this movie pre- predates That's them true. by years. Yeah, good point. 
Good point. And this was like, this was a box office hit too. That's the other thing. Like this cost, according to my research, $5 million million. and made 42 million. I'm assuming that's probably worldwide, but that's pretty, that's a pretty significant return on an investment. It was a big, it, it was, it was not a big hit in the UK, in England, but it was a huge hit here in the United States. It was like, uh, uh, Terry Gilliam's big hit here. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and yeah, you and, wrote it with Michael Palin and the, yeah. the, the, the pirates, the time bandits themselves are all supposedly apparently supposed to represent Based different members, members of, of the, Monty of the Python. troop. So yeah. you weren't familiar with Monty Python at all. This was your introduction to Palin right. and Cleese and all of that. Correct. Yeah. And a lot of the Monty Python people were only, uh, included because they wanted to be able to sell the the film it wasn't it wasn't right. made as a as, as a python film obviously it's not money pythons it's not money pythons time bandits yeah but yeah and this movie was of course uh the five million dollars was put up by george harrison's production company handmade films george harrison and his essentially his business partner and lawyer helped create this company it was first created to fund to finance Monty Python's Life of Brian because the original backers of Monty Python's Life of Brian were like, holy shit, you're doing a blasphemous religious movie. Mm-hmm. We're pulling out. And George Harrison made this company Handmade Films just to finance Life of Brian and then also finance this one for $5 million. In fact, famously... George Harrison, what, what did he, he mortgaged or whatever his office building to be able to get the money to uh, finance this this movie, the five million dollars, and he made a hefty return on that investment, five million to make forty two. It's pretty good. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So when you saw this the first time was at the video store, and what was? Did you immediately know I need to go, I need to watch this again? Did you run the tape? Did you rewind the tape again and watch it that night? Or like, how was that? What was your initial reaction? Clearly, it struck a chord that you went back to rent I can it again remember and again. But what was that, that? Yeah, what was the experience yeah. like? Oh yeah, it's easy. I can I can I can remember the the videotape. It was that. It was the the hand drawn. It was it was the ship, and the the checkered squares with the fortress of, uh, fortress of ultimate darkness was or some mountain was sticking up through one and the ship was out there and it said time bandits and it's like what is this and of course when you're a kid you're like anything time bandit you're like ooh okay interesting but i remember yeah. and then and then you turn the tape over and you could see that it starred a so you're like okay this movie is about a, a kid and it's got all these fantastic elements on the front of the box and yeah, it was just something that when you're a kid, you don't know a lot about movie. When you're that age, you didn't know a lot about movie trailers. You didn't read movie magazines. There were no movie blogs. You literally picked up the cover and said, this looks neat and took it home. And so, sometimes it was like a, yeah. a, B, a B budget piece of garbage. And sometimes it was a masterpiece like Time Bandits. But if you're looking for imagery, you're just looking to see like some cool and crazy shit. This movie has that. In spades, like yeah. so oh, yeah. much to, to get into with that alone. The the giant with the ship on his head, the ogre mm-hmm. with Catherine Hellman as his wife. You may we already mentioned the knight coming out of the out of the closet and stuff. And and then of course David Warner as evil, evil personified, the supreme amazing. being, 
all of that. Is there a particular character or or moment or side like mini quest in the midst of this? Which like, what's your favorite sequence from Time Bandits? Well, when I was a kid, I always really liked the. I did like the Time of Legends stuff, of course, because it has mm-hmm. the the giant. It's got the ship and. They put the, the the potion in the the like what is that the, the what do you even call that thing the like blower for smoke I don't know anyway they they yeah, put that yeah, yeah they put the potion in there and they make him fall fall asleep and all stuff which was really neat but um, I as a kid I just really remember the 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 Napoleon stuff which is the first place that they land and some Absolutely. of the most twisted stuff is in the Napoleon sequence as well like the Napoleon sequence is really Napoleon is this really like emotionally distraught, depressed, alcoholic, really self-conscious of his height, murderous guy. Like, like, like the it's guy. Probably pretty put, accurate though to, to what Napoleon was like. The guy that's putting on the play. And of course, this is the, the scene is taking place when Napoleon is invading Italy. So it actually takes place in Italy. And um, it's fascinating. The guy that's putting on the little show trying to please Napoleon. <laughs> right. When the, when the last act goes on and it's a failure, he's in the back about to hang himself. He's, <laughs> he's going to hang himself. <laughs> There's so much gallows humor, morbid yes. humor in this thing. It's crazy that. But you know what? That stuff was in every 80s kids, kids movie. 80s kids movies are so different than kids movies now. They are. It, 80s kids movies did not shy away from death, tragic themes, really frightening imagery. Like we were exposed to all of that stuff at such a young age. And we just had to like, I I don't envy my parents having to deal with me waking up every night going, I'm scared because (laughs) the movies were just feeding it to me. But maybe also being challenged so young might be good for it. A kid, maybe. You know what I mean? Well, that's what I was going to, yeah, that's what I was going yeah, yeah, to ask. It's like, do you think that that, how do you think being exposed to movies like this? Uh, I did an episode earlier this year on Howard the Duck, which is somehow a kid's movie, but not really if you look at it. Yeah, it's uh, got duck. Never it's got ending duck story. That it does. It's got naked never ending duck story, kids. Return to Oz. Like oh, all of these Return movies to Oz are. It's frightening, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's frightening now as a 30-something-year-old man watching duck, Return to duck, Oz. Duck titties are very frightening, they even are. as an adult. Yeah. It's like, why? Uh-huh. Yeah. You did an episode on I the did duck. do an episode and, on yeah, it. Yeah, I heard that one. I talked about the time. I talked about the fact that somebody's job that day was to come in and make duck areola. Yeah, somebody like had to someone's sculpt job. that. Yeah. <laughs> And it was either the worst day of their life or a really awesome day. They were like, I've been waiting for this my whole life. Yes, there's no between. Yeah, it's... uh, (laughs) Yeah. It's also, too, with a lot of these movies, like, not only is the humor dark, the imagery frightening, Mm -hmm. but... But the the practical effects, too, I think, they really uh, feeds into that nostalgia that you were talking about. The, the, The... miniatures, the prosthetic makeup, yeah. stop motion, puppetry, all the, that stuff. Why does the face of the Supreme being hold up somehow? I know. It's yeah. like that it's just a real face with light shining on it, like superimposed over this film, chasing them. 
And it's still to this day, I stare at it and it works for me. Like I it think, still has some impact for me. I think the reason that a lot of these effects hold up in this movie specifically is that they were usually used in fantasy films to create something that literally could not possibly exist and not trying to recreate something that existed in our world, you know? So yeah. there isn't, I mean, there isn't a Supreme being in our life that we've seen like that. So even though it looks strange, it's supposed to look strange because it's otherworldly. And so even if it, if you can see the seams a little bit and things like that, it's it still works. It's like the reason that, and this is one of the examples I go to a lot with this thing because it's the era of filmmaking. It's the reason that that Beetlejuice snake looks like stop motion, but still looks rad because yeah, yeah, it, you it, it it looks like something that shouldn't exist, that shouldn't be, which yeah. it is, you know, in that, even I, in the context I, of the film. I recently watched for some reason another movie that I randomly watched when I was a kid, but Jason and the the Argonauts. Mm-hmm. And they're the first island they go to, they take some items they should not take from like this god island, right? right. And I, I I forget the name of the, the god, but he comes to life and he's this giant bronze statue that comes to life. And it's that Ray Harryhausen right. stop motion. And I'm still afraid of this. Like, I still believe that this thing is, is there for some reason. You know what I mean? It's, yeah, there's just whether it's stop motion or and, and just some of the practical effects in this one. Like I think the whole Napoleon one ha is the best set piece. I love how chaotic it is. I love that there's guns going off. Things are blowing up. Cannonballs are being fired. And Napoleon is sitting there watching a, like a, like a, like a variety show play. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like it's insane. It's, it's crazy. But, but that's what, what what Terry Gilliam does so well and what any of the Pythons do so well is that just absolute absurdity. And that's what this movie has in spades. And like that practical set still still holds up to me. I still think about that that set piece now. And I just watched Jungle Cruise with The Rock. Right. And I watched that movie going, nothing looks real in this movie. Nothing. Like, yeah. and the and the reason is is I don't even know if there's a practical set in the whole movie. Like I can see every background, every explosion, the boat, everything is just, I'm looking at it going, this looks like computer effects, all of it. I don't think any of this is here. I think this is them on a giant green screen set and all of this is made by a computer and I can tell. And it mm -hmm. has so much less impact on me than that one time bandit scene with Napoleon in Italy. Like, that's it. Like, like I get more Im impact from that 10 minutes than I did from the entire Jungle Cruise movie. Because it also the, feels real. Yeah, it Absolutely. I was going to say, real. the production design, too, really backs that up. Evil's Fortress is really tactile and industrial and, and dirty. It's a really grimy environment. And I think that that perpetuates not only the danger inherent of that character, but but makes the the danger feel like something something real, something that's that you're you're actually worried about the time bandits because you're like, well, look at this dude. I don't know. 
<laughs> you see what conditions he lives in. And I think that all that really adds up to such a, a rich aesthetic in this movie. It's yeah. The movie really is. I don't know. It got really good reviews when it, when it came out, it still is really, really good reviews. Now I think it's 90% on rotten tomatoes. The movie is an absolute classic. Um, but it is, it's a, and it's a challenging classic as well. I mean, this is spoilers. If you don't want to know how this movie ends, please unsubscribe from Crooked. Well, no, I'm, hey, no. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Time Vanish, I think it's still streaming on HBO hit, Max. Just hit pause. So, yeah, it is still streaming on it. HBO yeah. Max. Okay. That's where I watched that's it. I His parents die at the end. Yeah, which I was His like, parents what? get blown up by a piece <laughs> of concentrated evil. Right. And that is an ending that they had to fight to keep in it. And even when I was a kid, there's so many things in the movie that I thought were so weird. Like, like I said, like challenging, like Robin Hood, when he would give a piece of treasure to the, to a poor person, one of mm-hmm. his merry men would clock them in the face just for fun. <laughs> like, it's just like, <laughs> it's like punching homeless people. It's awful. It was like, and even when I was a kid, I remember being like, what the heck is going on? Like you could, you could feel the like, the manic absurd but at the same time almost shocking behavior of everything in this in this movie Uh, yeah it's very it has a very uh satirical undertone whether it's history uh mythology or or even just modern day with the parents obsession with having the having the like top of the line kitchen appliances that literally one of them one of which literally kills them in the end and the thing, and the, also, the you have yeah. to wonder how much does Terry, how much do Terry Gilliam and Michael Palin hate marriage and hate couples? Mm-hmm. Like yeah. every couple in this movie is like miserable, or, or the wife is a nag, or it's terrible. They're all like un, unhappy. It's it's very strange. I read something where somebody pointed out where when the giant that comes out of the ocean crushes that house where the guy, where the creature is yelling at his wife and the baby's crying, there's mm-hmm. there's a moment where when the wife and the baby get crushed, where he's like, he has like a sigh of relief. The- <laughs> I'm free. <laughs> yes. And like every couple in the movie is portrayed as like, problematic slightly miserable it's you really have to wonder what they're saying like is 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 this through the eyes of the the kid is 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 the kid being like is this where like a young impressionable kid is getting his first thoughts about what marriage and what relationships are and is like setting him up for like a life of not enjoying relationships or or he's going to have a lot of really like damaged relationships because of all this damage that's going on from all of the married people and the couples that he knows around him. There's that too, which is like, would be an interesting thing to explore. Yeah. I think that that's probably the case. The movie toys with that in the end, like it was it all just a wizard of Oz esque allegory or or not, I think with having Sean Connery playing not only Agamemnon, but also the fireman at the end. Yeah. It, it leads into that. And then the parents explode and you're just like, uh, okay. Well, we, yeah. it, one thing that I, I found really interesting in this movie is 
the what seems to me to be some commentary on religion. Literally, they spend the movie running from the supreme being, a- a- aka God, essentially. Yeah. And the 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 evil is obviously the devil character. And he's he's talking about like when I have an understanding of computers, I shall be the supreme being. So it's like takedown on technology. Also, seems like it's undercutting religious or organized religion in some way, shape, or form. Not unlike Life of Brian, I would say. Mm-hmm. And then in the end, when when all of this ordeal that they've been through is revealed to be a test that the supreme being was putting them through, yeah. there there's not really an answer to 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 the quest that they've been that they've been going through they've been the whole thing is that they're trying to get like what the most fabulous item in the world or whatever it's called well uh, that's how that's how the that's how evil convinces them to right. bring him the map is by right. telling him by feeding into the one little person that the most fantastic object in the universe is there right yeah. So it's interesting too the way well you just brought this up. If this is through the mind of Kevin, which there are lots of clues that say that it is, uh of course he would come up with a scenario where God is testing creation to see if he's succeeded because Kevin's own existence is terrible. Like of course he wants to he wants he's probably wants to test his own existence. He probably wants to test his own life and get out from where under he get out from the situation that he's in because he's so miserable. So Mm. it's, and what's interesting is is if you notice it's, you pointed out the, uh, the firefighter scene with Sean Connery, which is something that was added at the very end of the film that wasn't in the original script. In the original script, Sean Connery dies in the, in the test of creation scene. He's, he's supposed to be the one that gets crushed under the pillar instead of fidget. But they didn't have any more time with Sean Connery. They couldn't film that particular scene. So they, Sean Connery actually made a joke or said in passing, wouldn't it be cool if I was the firefighter at the end of the movie? And it just so happened that they, Sean Connery happened to be in, in town because of something that had to do with his, his taxes. He was visiting his tax attorney and they got him to go film a quick scene where he puts on a firefighter suit and like says a couple words and like winks. They didn't even film the scene in, outside the house yet. So <laughs> they had that in, in the can ready to add to the movie. So it's interesting that that was like an unplanned part of the film. And uh, did you notice that in the fight at the end, the test of creation, some of the blocks in the room are Legos? There are giant Lego blocks. That. Yeah. So they're Lego blocks. So you have to wonder, is this just is this just a kid uh, having an overactive imagination? Are we just seeing a kid dreaming? Uh, is he trying to escape his miserable reality of his two parents who want nothing to do with him and consider things like the latest Blendomatic or whatever? to be the most cherished things in the world and not him. And yeah, that's why there's, uh, if you see much like, and this has a lot of parallels with the movie Labyrinth. You've seen Labyrinth, right? Yes, I have. <laughs> okay, good. Labyrinth. It's been a while. It's been a so, while and I need to revisit it, but yes, I have. Spoilers for Labyrinth. 
in Labyrinth, you can see in her room everything that's going to be in the movie if you look around. Mm -hmm. It's on the shelves. It's on the mirrors. It's on chairs, all this stuff. When you look around the room, everything that's going to be in the movie is on that wall. The wall in the beginning of the movie where he's got all the pictures of historical figures and things that are taped up. Everything that's going to be in the movie is right there. So I think this movie shares a lot with Labyrinth. Then it's the story. Uh, Labyrinth is a story of somebody growing up and not really wanting to give up some of her childhood things yet. Of course, she doesn't want to grow up too much because she avoids David Bowie's bulge. But I but think Labyrinth, this, another another movie that this predates by about five years or so. Yeah, this predates it totally. So you have you have to wonder how many other films, Time Bandits, because it was such a success, how many other movies used some of the formula, the winning formula of Time Bandits. And I wonder if Time Bandits does not get the credit that it deserves. And of course, Time Bandits was, it did have quote unquote partial sequels. It was part of the, I believe Terry Gilliam calls it the trilogy of imagination. imagination. Trilogy of Imagination, This, Brazil, and The Adventures of Baron Munchausen. And what's interesting about that is The Adventures of Baron Munchausen is a movie that I found on HBO when I was also pretty young. And I watched that movie probably 20 times when it was on HBO, not even realizing that it was Terry Terry Gilliam, not realizing that it was was, uh, part of any proposed Imagination trilogy or things like that. And I love that movie. I like that movie a lot too. Have Have you seen Adventures of Baron Munchausen? I have not seen the Adventures of Baron Munchausen. Yeah, but now that I've seen this one, I need to complete my trilogy of imagination. There is, I guess, the the what is the commonality between those movies? Like, what is it about Terry Gilliam's approach to these types of stories that that you think uh, attracts you, keeps you coming back? Well, as far as the the trilogy goes, the 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 thread that that binds them all together is um, it's all people trying to escape the the banalities of of regular life. That's what mm-hmm. in the first one, it's Kevin. He's trying to. He's the parents. Obviously, his home life is terrible. His parents are awful and only interested in like material things. Brazil is, of course, he's in his 30s and he's escaping some like totalitarian, is escaping conformity. And then Munchausen is an older gentleman who is telling tall, fantastical tales about his life when it turns out he's just a normal person. But it, yeah, that's what those are all about. And I, I think it's just for me, it's just Terry Gilliam's stories. They all have this, like, they're dangerous. Mm-hmm. what you're watching is fantastical and fun, but at any point it can take a turn for violent, the macabre, morbid. It, at, at, at any point you can have the rug pulled out from under you into like absurdity to horror. It's, it's yeah. which I think that that's what it is. I think there's just a danger to it. I, I think Terry Gilliam himself, the guy is a little crazy. The the song in the in the in the movie that George Harrison provides, no I forget. Way, I think "Dream Away" actually has lines yeah. in it that are about Terry Gilliam and how difficult he is 
I, I did read some of that. He, yeah. was, he was like, man, you're such a pain in the ass. Like yeah. I think he compared him to John Lennon. John about Lennon. Being, about being difficult. Yeah. 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 So I think a lot of that comes across in this one too. And um, there's something undeniable about exploring history like this infinite possibilities that yeah we go to ancient greece we see napoleon yeah. we end up on the titanic at some point which i was like yeah. wait what's happening now yeah um, where we always end up with what is it vincent and pansy what's yeah yeah what's his yeah name? Is his name vincent uh, yeah, i think uh, it is yeah those two characters michael palin and and, Sh- and shelly duvall vincent and pansy yeah Vincent you have and Pansy. Seen this 5200 yes, times. Vincent. I have I've seen this a million times. Vincent and and Pan and Pansy. They they appear throughout the film. Side Keep, note keeping story. That, keeping that side through note, a line of yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, side note story. Yeah, keep, keeping that through line of like doomed exactly. relationships, miserable right. relationships. Yeah, she's always worried about like what there's the, in the one scenario, his like manhood would not work. And she's like, are you over your problem? And he's like, yes. And then it's like, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. It's really funny. But like, side note, apparently Terry Gilliam was trying to show everyone how safe jumping off this one scaffolding was. But when he jumped, he missed his mark and landed on Shelley Duvall. And apparently <laughs> Shelley Duvall said that apparently she said, quote, I could have been paralyzed as it is. There's a pain that comes through my ears to my eye and then goes away. The pain recurred about twice a week for two minutes. That's That's terrible. She like damaged her head. So it's like, and this was, was around the time of the shining. So apparently in like the early, the early eighties, Shelly Duvall was getting uh, her head. Popeye in 1980 also. Yeah. Getting a, she had a rough couple of years. Jeez. Dude, getting her head jumped on by Terry Gilliam, Stanley Kubrick famously like, torturing her with like Mm -hmm. hundreds of takes to get like her to look as ragged as possible. Like, Oh my gosh. Shelly Duvall, man. So, and she looks like such a frail person as well. Like, like, I know, I know like a, like a, well, that's why they got, that's why you get her to play olive oil. Like the world's skinniest, like most gaunt woman of all time. And yeah, she's, that's true. So I hadn't put it together. The, these movies were so close together. Poor Shelley Duvall. <laughs> She's getting abused over and over. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. So. Yeah. I, I found, I, I found it interesting. Like the, the, the practical stuff that we mentioned earlier, I wanted to pinpoint a lot of the stuff with evil that yeah. I thought was super cool. David Warner playing evil, as we mentioned, uh-huh. there's the, I think there's a part where he's like, is he bending his fingers or something like that? There's some bending finger bending happening at one point. And then there's the showdown with him where his head is yeah. opening up and like things are yeah. coming out of yeah, it. And like stuff. the like Super a, cool. like like a carnival. Yeah. Like a crazy yeah. carnival Again, ride. Reminded yeah. me of reminded me a little bit of Beetlejuice because he has like that whole carnival setup towards the end of the movie. Yeah. It's so, all uh, copying very, time bandits. Yeah, I'm realizing that as as we were talking about this more and more, that this is it makes sense why in hindsight, why this is in the Criterion collection, I believe, mm-hmm. and none of the other movies we're comparing it to are. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, they were taking some of the best elements of Time Bandits. Is there is there a character that in the movie that you really resonate with, or is it the this blank slate that Kevin basically is? Because Kevin in this movie is very passive for most of it. He's mm-hmm. essentially, you're an every kid, 
who's just yeah. swept up in this adventure. So he's, he's, but he's, he's also, just I our avatar. He's also yeah. not above voicing. That's true. Like, like wrongness or hypocrisy that's going on. Like he, he even challenges God at the end or the Supreme mm-hmm. being. He says, you did this all to test creation. Like he's, he's not above being, he's like, the voice of of reason throughout all of these absurd proceedings, and it's really crazy that the voice of reason is coming from the the the, the mouth of a child. Mm-hmm. Or is it like is that maybe Gilliam's take is kids have more to contribute than than we think? And I feel like there's there's a lot of things in this movie that either that questions that it raises, but I'm not sure it really wants to answer them or it's just point, pointing out how ridiculous it is that we think we have answers to things. We were talking about, about the parents being obsessed with technology, evil also obsessed with technology. He does. Which is yeah, an interesting he, parallel. Yeah, when he was talking about God doesn't, the Supreme being doesn't, he's not interested in, and he names off like a couple technologies. Like, what is it he's not interested in? I'm trying to remember, but he's like, he's not interested in, and he rattles off some high tech yeah. stuff, but no, he'd rather deal with like mosses and grass and bushes and shrubs. You know what I mean? He basically like, like cuts him down and is like, he's not, not so hip, hip with the times. Mm-hmm. And he's also uh manipulating as manipulating the time bandits to chase something that doesn't really exist essentially so yeah. dangling that i i guess feels like a commentary on when you're an adult you're like oh, oh once once i get this sorted out i'll be happy or once i get this once i get this car or i'm in this yeah. relationship you're always racing this... for the most fantastic exactly object. exactly is that a sentiment I guess that resonates with you personally. Not, not do you that you feel like you're constantly have to do better, but that kind of, I don't know. Cause I, I personally, I feel that all the time. Like I'm constantly like, all right, not feeling like I, I have, uh, like I've reached to where I want to be thing. That lack of, lack of contentment, I guess. Is that something that, that you're, you're just trying to, does that inform your, your life at all? Wow, I'm breaking down about, time bandits. Deep, deep. The show's not about the movie. No, you're not even asking me about the movie anymore. You're asking me about me personally. Well, it's connected to the movie. It's like okay, the movie trying see. to find out what themes of the movie resonate with do you. I, am I, do am I personally affected by the pursuit of material items or things that society has? Do, uh, do you feel that pressure? I guess you know, dictated as the measures of success. All right, let me see. Let me say this. So when I was younger, no. Now that I'm older, yes, because I'm thinking about how am I going to support myself when I'm decrepit. So when you're young, you're invincible, right? So you can be right. like, I'm going to live on a, I'm going to, I'm going to travel with a backpack and I'm going to, I'm going to. Sean Connery's going to adopt me. I'm going to grow pineapples. I'm going to be happy. And it's like, okay. Yeah. But like when you're old, you're like, what am I doing? I'm old. Like, where am I going to live when I'm old? Where am I going to live when I can't work anymore? Like, what am I going to, like, what am I going to do? Like you start thinking about those things when you're older or when you have kids, Mm -hmm. how am I going to give this kid the best life possible? How am I going to make sure that they have food, safety, medicine, everything that, that they need. And then suddenly this whole construct that we've built, you start to get sucked into it. And right now I'm fully sucked into it. 
if I could just sit here and podcast all day, I would do that, but Same. I can't. I've got bills and I have a certain life that I want to live. And I know that that takes money and it takes a certain amount of money. And I constantly ask myself, can I be happy making a certain amount of money, stashing it away, moving to a third world country, buying a small house and living off of that money forever, but not having any of the social not having any of those kind of like shiny carrots that I've grown up thinking are the things that I need to be chasing. That's a question that I ask myself a lot. I'm not really sure. Does all of this make me happy? Does having a job and a roof over my head and making money and putting money away and being able to, being able to provide for people, does that make me happy? In a way, it does. But I guess I'll try not to let it overtake me like Kevin's parents. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I, now, I feel like that's the as, kind of as, question. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. As somebody who loved this movie as, as, a, as, as a kid, that's not a thought mm-hmm. that I ever once encountered. This was just a fun fantasy adventure. Watching it as an adult, it's hard for me to tear my kid perception out. Mm-hmm. Because I again, Pizza Hut, running a movie, <laughs> spilling Coca Cola on the floor. Yeah, that mom you know, getting mad at you. Yeah. Mom getting mad at me, uh, grabbing at the curling iron and burning the back of my foot. No, I'm just kidding. That never. <laughs> I'm just kidding. That's, I was going to really, say maybe you relate to Kevin really more, than, t- you, yeah. uh, more <laughs> yeah. than you thought. Yeah, I like, yeah. like, hey, mom, check that that no, rod, no, no, mysterious no, no, rock no, in the toaster oven. Yeah. <laughs> mom, there's a rock in the toaster oven. Why don't you go touch it? Um, no, no, no. But yeah, it's hard for me to separate the, uh, nostalgia of watching it with Mm -hmm. like an adult viewing of it. In fact, this might be the first time that I've ever tried to dive into it that way. It's like, I know all those things are there, but really diving into it and trying to, to peel away the, the themes are, is difficult for me because it's hard for me to separate the nostalgia of watching it when I was a kid because I have so much love for it that it's very hard to, when you love something that much, it's very hard to be like, well, let me think about all of its flaws now or like, let me, let me really like examine this for what it is or whatever because it's, you just have a chemical reaction to it. It's, it's just different. Yeah. Yeah. I think what, what's, fascinating about this movie and it's probably why it's been so celebrated all the, after all these decades later is that it for kids it works as a dark as escapist adventure story yeah but for adults you can not only remember even even if you hadn't seen this as a kid like i hadn't you can you taps into that spirit as we were saying earlier like when you're young as as if you could had a map and you could hop throughout time, there's infinite mm-hmm. possibilities. Yeah, you never you don't know where you're going to end up, what you're going to end up be doing. You might be in ancient Greece, you might be hanging out with Napoleon, you might be running away from a giant, an ogre, breaking some invisible barrier. Which, by the way, that effect was super cool too. It was. Once you're an adult, you're stuck in one place, obsessing over bullshit. And I think that it's it's a it works for kids. And it works for the young and the young at heart, essentially. And when you're an adult, it also highlights the the futility of yeah. chasing that most fabulous object in the universe. We're all trying to just like 
prove ourselves and all of that. And it's like, no, just live your life. Don't worry about it. Evil and the Supreme being are, are just messing with you anyway. And, and that's what I took away from it this time watching it here as an adult is, is that it has both dimensions running concurrently throughout it. And then when it ends with the parents exploding, it's like, oh yeah, that's right. It's a kid's movie. Parents suck. LOL. It's it's more than a, a dark joke. It, it, it also, the camera then pulls out, pulls out, pulls out, and then Supreme Being like rolls up a map. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, is, 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 what is, what exactly is Terry Gilliam saying about the, the fabric of the universe, about God or the Supreme Being, whatever you want to call it? Like, is he trying to make a point or is he just like, this is wacky. Can, we don't know what's happening. None of us know. Let's just imagine it's some dude with a map. Like what, what do you think he is trying to say or is he trying to say anything? I don't know. But as even as a kid, when the parents blew up, I was like, Oh good. Now, now you can be with fireman Agamemnon. Like, <laughs> like even as a kid, like you He's wanted great. those parents to blow up and you wanted him to go be with Sean Connery. Right. You know, like even as a kid, I remember feeling that. So it wasn't such a big problem to me because I was like, those parents suck. <laughs> I didn't, just didn't think they were going to go there. Like when it happened, I, I was I was yeah. a little surprised. Like obviously the movie's dark and it's an era, as we said, with where kids movies were almost trying to go dark just to, yeah. to traumatize children and or to prepare them for the adult world. Depends on, yeah. on your how you look at it. Uh, and so when that happened, I just, I was really surprised by that they, that they took it that far. So you've obviously seen this a million times. Yeah. Has, how has your read, has your reading of it changed uh, at, at all during that time? And I guess now, I know you just said it's hard for you to do this, but do you objectively think this is a good movie or is it just because you're thinking about Pizza Hut and spilling soda and, and being a kid? No, I still think this movie is fantastic. I try to, sh but I, I try to show this movie to people. I've tried to show this movie to a few other adults and none of them came away with the love of it that I have. Mm -hmm. So I understand that some of it could be tied to feelings of nostalgia that I have for it. What's interesting though is I guess this is just a side note. When I was a kid, I used to get bored by the Agamemnon sequence. Like when the, when the Ag, when the Agamemnon stuff started, I would get bored. And now, as as an adult, I really like the Ag, the the the, Agam, the Agamemnon sequence. Like with Sean Connery, that uh, there's no absurd humor in that part of the movie. Right. It it almost becomes like a straightforward. He's living with this with this Greek king and yeah, he's, he's teaching him lessons and says that he's going to leave the, that he's his son and heir now. Like it's, it's such it, the movie suddenly goes so straightforward. And I think some of that probably has to do with Sean Connery. I know they said that during that part of the filming, he really kind of took over and Terry Gilliam just deferred to him a lot during the filming of all of that. But the the film is so different during that stretch. Did 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 you did you notice that? Yeah, I think, and I think part of it is because it's then again Kevin with another authority figure. I wouldn't say that the the time bandits are at any point really a like 
authority figures. Like they're not parental much in, in a lot of senses. They're just more peers. But it was, it reminded me the fantastical nature of the movie, but also the searching for belonging in a way. And that sequence reminded me of that, that movie from the 90s with Elijah Wood called North that nobody saw, mm. I don't think. No. And it's famously bad, but it's also yeah. like his, his parents are just bickering all the time. And, and so he basically like runs away from home and meets a bunch of different families and spends time with them, almost stays and then keeps moving along. And then in the end, it's it's like a dream that he had, basically. And he was sort of yeah, reconciles with his parents. Is the, that's the dad that he wants. Right, exactly. Yeah, that's the the attentive, positive role model he's, he's and, not and, getting at home. And it's funny that as soon as he gets that role model in the movie, all of the absurd chaos stops. Mm-hmm. And you can read the movie that, that, that way. And that's something that I didn't really notice when I was a kid. I was just like, this is the boring part because there's no little people, you know, <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. But as an adult, no, other than the little people sexual fetish that I developed, I don't really see the film that much differently other than recognizing it's other than recognizing the themes, but I still definitely watch the film and I can drift into just viewer mode. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Where Yeah. Yeah. Totally. It's, where it's you an stop easy analyzing it and you yeah, right. Where you you just drift and you're just watching it now on its own terms instead right. of trying to watch it on whatever uh critical put your, terms put your critic hat have. on. Yeah. Yeah. And it's one that I slip into that with. So it's like putting on a comfortable pair of jammies with nice surrealist jammies little cartoon characters on it yeah yeah is there before we start winding down is there anything about time bandits that we haven't talked about any particular aspect of the movie or your connection to it that we didn't mention that you wanted to make sure we we threw out there i'm not sure we touched on so much we did we covered a lot here I don't think I left any stones uh, unturned, actually. Nice. Yeah, I've got, uh, I'm through all my notes here. Sweet. Yeah. I, I, one thing I did want to mention is that I know that they're apparently doing a a show, like Taika Waititi is doing a show. uh, Yeah, I haven't heard anything about that in a a while. Like, I know that was in 2019. Waititi was supposed to co-write and direct the pilot of Time Bandits for Apple I wonder if that's been pushed now because he's in he's, he's doing a star wars he's yeah doing Thor, because it's now 2021 yeah, yeah and I, I haven't heard a, a peep about this what are your so. thoughts on the i guess a reimagining or i don't know if this would it, if, i don't know if the show would acknowledge the movie as canon and build on it from there like they netflix did with the dark crystal or or if it's going to bring uh, sean connery out of retirement out of isn't he didn't he pass away now oh crap is he going to bring him out of the grave? <laughs> Might as well. I mean, maybe yeah, the I've, archive footage yeah. or something. Be I like, actually think I just made a grave error. Back. Yeah, there you go. Uh, yes, October 31st, 2020, Sean Connery passed away. So there you go. Bitch. Just get a different James Bond. Name. How did I miss we'll this? Was this, a, was this the middle of COVID? Probably, yeah. It was, it was uh, last October. Oh, so was, we were all was, like, yeah, we, we got yeah. other things going on. I was Sean probably Connery. too busy watching Tiger King or whatever. 
But uh, yeah, wow, that's really that's really sad. I actually forgot about that. That makes me a terrible film person. But uh, yeah, there's a lot going I, on. I you're forgiven. Maybe on behalf of film Twitter, you're you're forgiven. Maybe he's still alive in in my heart, in my heart yes, of hearts. Exactly. Yeah, he's, he's living. Still, he's living as a fireman somewhere. He's, he's taking out on the f- fires in the sky. That's right. The yeah, I I, I, I I guess I do. Oh, my thoughts on the show. Yeah. It's gonna it's gonna be a terrible, miserable failure. That's what I think about the show. Could be. I I do know that the kid that played Kevin, it was his brother that came into audition for the role. And Terry Gilliam just liked something about him instead of his brother. Said that he just was seemed less like an annoying kid. Apparently, Terry Gilliam didn't think very highly of kid actors. Thought most of them were obnoxious and saw something that was a little more calm and, and thoughtful about good old what's his name craig, craig warnock. warnock yeah i have it up also here yeah who now yeah. just pl- plays like keyboard in bands now i guess That's that must have been an awkward car ride back after that audition <laughs> craig warnock and his brother be like so what's up craig yeah exactly sorry so yeah to wind things down i, I like to ask guests to sell listeners on their selection. Obviously, this is a movie oh. that means a lot to you. Yeah. So try and why should people check this movie out? And if they've seen it already, like you and like me now at this stage, thanks for again bringing this to the show. What other movies would you recommend that are in this vein? Mm. So watch this film because I don't know if there's any other kids' movie that is just unbridled imagination this is just imagination let loose this movie has real historical figures mixed with fantasy historical figures you've got evil you've got the supreme being you've got time hopping maps you've got it's there's nothing that this movie is afraid to to tackle, to show, and it does all of it with uh, so much confidence and without an ounce of restraint. And I think that's what makes this movie so good. And it has something, if, if, if you're going to show it to a kid, he's going to absolutely love the, the adventure, the, the, the escapism. And if you're an adult, you may enjoy the, you're going to enjoy the escapism, but also like, remembering to view life with a little more of a fantastical eye of a child rather than Mm -hmm. becoming those parents that sit there and are simply invested in material things and one-upping the neighbors. I know they talk about their neighbors have some new appliance or whatever. So there's, there's that for, and if you're an adult, it's got, you know, Monty Python troop members. It has all kinds of, a, this movie's got adult humor all over the place for, for absolutely sure. This was sprinkling the kid humor with the uh, adult humor before Shrek any ever tried to do that. And really something that you were saying, Robert is once you realize this movie came out in 1981, you start to recognize pieces of it in lots of stuff that came afterwards. Yeah. This movie might be, as far as dark children's fantasy, this might be the goat. This might be yeah, the it's, OG. It's definitely a precursor all to all of the movies we mentioned. I even mm-hmm. felt a little bit of like 
Princess Bride with Vincent and Pansy reminds me a little bit of that. The Billy Crystal, Carol Kane bickering. We also have the cat of Catherine Hellman and the the ogres arguing about this. So it it felt a little bit like that as well. Yep. Like, do you have him in the pot, dear? Yeah, just about. When they're cracking his back, (laughs) when they're like, he's got the back pain. And like, and like, again, that's what he thinks of adults. He thinks of them as like, bickering people with like back pain and misery it, it really is a really is a very bleak out outlook yeah really is a very bleak look into what it what it is to be an, the, an adult yeah that's why i always tell my daughter she's like i want to grow i want to be in an, an, a grown-up i'm like no you don't No. <laughs> enjoy it while you can yeah you like, have to worry yeah, yeah you can drive around and you have money but you also yeah. have to make sure you have money and that you can pay for the car to drive around and you have to, you know, work and responsibilities and a mortgage, et cetera, et cetera. But you, can, cetera, eat, but you like, can eat ice cream, whatever you want. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like yeah, but I got to buy it. it. And also it's going to give me a stomach ache. And right. also I'm, I'm going to be on the, the toilet for the next two hours. <laughs> and also I'm going to gain weight. Like there's, there's consequences to everything right. when you're an adult, when you're a kid, everything's free. Everything is fun and games your 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 body's this like crazy just machine burning fat and burning calories like crazy every time you take two steps yeah we sound so old right now but whatever you do i'm still get off my lawn basically i'm I'm still gonna eat an ice cream after this is done yeah nice you should you should fat be Um, damned okay (laughs) But yeah, no, thank you for bringing the Time Bandits to the show. Terry Gilliam was doing a time heist decades before the Avengers decided to hop around in time stealing things, which is another movie that felt very reminiscent of of this one. But yeah, this was a really, really fun movie to to finally get a chance to watch. And I would recommend people check it out on HBO Max. And JC, can you tell people where they can find you on social media as well as ScreenFix? Me, yeah. So you can just find me by myself. I'm I'm JC. Am I JC Screenfix? Yeah, I'm JC Screenfix yeah. uh, at at Twitter. You find me there. But other than that, yeah, like I said, you can also find Screenfix Pod on Twitter. You can find Screenfix Pod on Facebook. You can find VHS Club on Instagram as well as I'll be posting from the Screenfix account about the next event. Lost Boys, August twenty eighth. 10 p.m. Greenlight Cinema. Robert Yanis Jr. will not be there. But I'll be, I will be, yeah, I will be with my my about to deliver a child. And wife. since he's having a newborn, I, I don't think he's ever gonna be there. But he's always in there. What, but he's always what, invited. Do you know what, what any of the subsequent film selections are? Or do you have no, those because do you they're have things picked, in mind yet? They're picked by the audience which is the coolest part about VHS club. That's cool. Yeah. VHS club picked lost boys. So what it is, is I let the audience pick what the programming is. So essentially they do you, get pro- to pl- do you provide choices or do I they just give, like, no, shout I, at give, who's line is um, anyway style? I give, so I give suggestions for like, like I have like a list of like 10 suggestions, but lost boys was a write in with a whole nice. bunch of votes. So Wow. Uh, yeah, it's going to be good. Yeah. So just because it's one of the suggested movies doesn't mean that that's the one that we're going to do. And 
it's a, it's a lot of fun and there's trivia and all kinds of fun stuff. But also, Screen Fix is a lot of fun too. Check it out, download it, rate, review, subscribe, and all of that good stuff. Uh, if you want to hear more, JC, Madcap JC on Screen Fix, I'm much more subdued on this program. This is a respectable program. So I try to keep it, keep, keep my, my, myself down to about an eight rather than okay. the, the 11 that I'm on. And At 11 and a half. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, we, I appreciate the, the more restrained version of your shenanigans and maybe, <laughs> maybe I should just show up to August 28th with a few dozen friends and we can get time bandits as a write-in. And then you can, Whoa, how cool would that, would that be, be to, to host Time Bandits this? as a ride-in would be pretty amazing. That would, yeah, that would. would be. And then you can tie it in. And actually what it is, is last time, what it is, is like when I do the trivia, Greenlight Cinema sponsors one of the trivia prizes. Screen Fix sponsors one of the trivia prizes. And whoever my guest podcast person is who's, who helps me do the hosting that week sponsors uh, a prize as well so and that's how that that works so i think for lost boys i'm probably going to sponsor some kind of try to mix it up maybe like some like a beach towel with Corey feldman on it i don't know we'll see yeah well definitely keep me in the loop with that i would i would love to come down at some point there and 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 we can present some movies but this was so much fun jc and we'll definitely get you back on here or franchise detours Ooh, uh, so franchise in the detours. Ex- explain that one. So franchise detours is uh, every episode, myself and a guest, either talk about a a single franchise, like a smaller uh-huh. franchise. I did uh, I did one on the Ace Ventura movies. I did one on the Mortal Ooh. Kombat movies. Did Did you talk uh, about how absolutely how Ace Ventura could not be made today? Yes, it is of course. so. Absolutely so much wrong. Stuff. So yeah. much wrong in that thing now. It's like I watched that recently and was like, oh, I know. I know. yeah. It's very, it, like, it hurts how me has, because how, how Jim Carrey has, hasn't been canceled yet just for that movie is surprising to me. It, it, it hurts so and, and it hurts me too because that was a huge movie for, for young Rob. Whoa. Uh, and the sequel is not very good in my guest and I agreed. And then the spinoff, the one about the little kid, which I watched to prepare for the episode, the Ace Ventura Pet Detective Jr. Uh, is terrible, is beyond unwatchable. Oh my God. Uh, so it's like three I movies. I didn't even know that existed. Are, it's from like 2009. Watch the one oh minute trailer God. and save yourself the rest of the oh hour no. and a half. And so the only part of the franchise that really holds up doesn't hold up. <laughs> so you go, there. so in, instead of just like a film, you go through like the franchise. It depends what it, it depends what it is. So yeah. So I did Ace Ventura. I did Mortal Kombat, the, the two nineties ones. And, uh, and we sprinkled in some commentary on the, the most recent reboot as well. So it's either standalone episodes or what I'm, what I'm calling mega series. So we're doing the seven child's play movies. I have an episode on each of those films and they're, they're coming out yeah, every couple of weeks. So it's in that succession, then I'm doing the evil dead films that I'm going to be recording those over the next couple of weeks. Those are already cool. scheduled. And then in early 2022, Mad Max is going to be the next one. Cause I did a, I did a Twitter poll with four options cause I had four slots at the end of the year yeah. at the end of this year. And like I said, I'm recording a lot of these in advance and yep. evil dead one. And Mad Max was close. That's right. <laughs> evil dead one. Mad Max was a close second. So I was like, well, I'll just prioritize that for the first one next year. So, 
So yeah, so Evil Dead and Mad Max. And I have some ideas for other ones I want to I wanna cover, but nothing's been set in stone just yet. Okay, that sounds great. So, yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll try to weasel my way onto one of those. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Love to have you, JC. Awesome. Big thanks to JC from Screen Fix for coming on to the show to discuss 1981's Time Bandits. Really interesting to go back and watch this movie, which feels like it informed the following decade plus of fantasy children's family entertainment uh, in a lot of different ways. Definitely check that out if you have not seen it. But I want to know, what's your favorite fantasy film from the 1980s? We mentioned several here. Goonies, NeverEnding Story, Willow, Return to Oz, all of those types of movies that me being a late 30-something grew up with. Like, they don't make them like this anymore. What is your favorite 1980s fantasy film? Let me know. Find me on Twitter, at Crooked Table, the same handle on Instagram, and via email at robert at crookedtable.com. For now, that's a wrap on another Crooked Table production. Stay crooked, everyone. This has been a production of CrookedTable.com. All rights reserved. That's the yard of the low KED.